Wellness Force Radio, episode 57. Like, it doesn't happen. They hate the prep work beforehand. They hate the dishes afterwards. They hate when it doesn't taste good. But no one hates the actual process of cooking. And I think that people get all of the other things associated with cooking, like shopping, prepping, planning, expectations of it tasting good, expectations of how you'll feel afterwards, that they get that confused and it just stops them in their tracks. And they say, I don't like cooking. I don't, it's not for me. But really, cooking can be a very meditative, creative, enjoyable process. What's up, my friend? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is Josh Trent, your host. And I want to thank you for spending this little slice of your busy day here with me on the show. If it's your very first time to Wellness Force, welcome. This show is where you'll learn from the most inspiring and passionate experts in both behavior change and wellness technology. Now, every week, you and I will get to come together to learn from a world-class leader who dedicates their life to driving real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Today on the podcast, we're talking with one of my closest friends and local San Diegan, Chef Kat Humphus. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Supplements. I am always scanning the planet for products that I can trust. So now I am honored to support this company who walks the talk with their values of non-GMO, pesticide-free, and organic real food supplements that support all of us on this wellness journey. Hop on over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce and enter code wellnessforce at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. Just a little bit more about Chef Kat. She is a classically trained chef and a graduate of Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, France. In San Diego, she was voted 2012 Best Top Female Chef by Riviera Magazine, as well as Best Local Chef by Ranch and Coast. She's been on the Food Network multiple times. She almost beat Bobby Flay. This is a woman who is no stranger to looking fear in the face and moving through it anyways. You know, today's show, we're talking about the recipe for connection. Not only will we unpack what it really takes to move through emotions and how that relates to food and the ways that we cook, but also how do we create a community around us that supports us to be healthy in the way that we eat? You know, it's really easy if somebody's making all your food, but that's not the real world. And in the real world, we're all as busy as we've ever been before. So Kat has created her company, Savory Made Simple, to address this deepest need. Here's what you'll learn today with Chef Kat. We'll talk about why cookbooks don't work, how to learn how to start cooking now, regardless of your past, the power of being vulnerable in your cooking and in your relationships and health, taking imperfect action every day, what holds people back from learning how to cook, and how to prepare savory and tasty, healthy, nutrient-dense meals in your life, no matter how busy you are, through the construct of community, education, and resources. It was crazy. After recording this episode, I went to Sprouts, went shopping. When I came home, I realized this is something we all deal with, how to get these nutrient-dense foods into our life and have it not be such a struggle. I think you're really going to love this show with Chef Kat. So without any more time, let's jump into the conversation with Chef Kat Humphus. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. I am so excited. We are recording here, full truth, in my apartment with a sound deadening board up. Catherine just drove over, but we are excited to share with you what we've talked about as the recipe for connection. And this is going to be a special show. Not only do Catherine and I have a huge history together, but this is a woman who is truly chasing down her dream and serving people through healthy food and 
how to make this recipe for connection actually happen. So Kat, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Josh. So you're the owner of Savory Made Simple, and we're going to talk all about your story, but just quickly tell people in a few sentences, what is Savory Made Simple? So Savory Made Simple is a meal kit delivery service. So we deliver fresh ingredients to your home so that you get to enjoy stress-free cooking at home. And with that, they get to choose three recipes. There's a beautiful thing that you have online, three recipes out of seven. All the ingredients get delivered right to their doorstep. How does it work, this savory made simple? It's really that simple. Um, <laughs> so we have a, <laughs> uh, a menu page and you get to choose three recipes out of seven. So we have varying categories of gluten-free or vegetarian or what I call chef's favorite, which is kind of just mac and cheese or you're having a good time or you have a party and um, you choose the three that best fit your lifestyle and then they are delivered every Tuesday all over California. And with Savory Made Simple, I'm curious, like, how did you even come up with this name? Like, was it, I know your brother is part of the program. We're going to talk about that too. And you've had some help from people in the community, but how did you figure out this name, Savory Made Simple? It was actually my sister-in-law. She's just a great wordsmith. And we were coming up with buzzwords like, okay, what what do people think of when they think of, you know, easy? And we didn't want to use easy. And what do they what what can they do when it's, you know, really delicious? But we didn't want to do delicious. So savory made simple was born. And it's cool because I got to see Kat grow through this process. And let's dive into your story so people can understand you. You know, we had a phone call a couple of weeks ago that was really unique, and we're gonna talk about the power of vulnerability vulnerability today and kind of how that relates to taking care of yourself through food and, and your process and that. You started out, you had no idea that you wanted to be a chef. You worked at the Prado here in San Diego. You kind of fell in love with cooking, but you started in the front of the house. Tell us about that. Yeah, I um, I was working at SeaWorld in high school, like a lot of San Diego kids do. And I joined um, the hospitality program at San Diego State, and they recommended that you get a job in a restaurant. And so they had a partnership with the Prado, and so I got a job as a hostess just because it, you know, seemed like the next step. And honestly, I hated being a hostess. I mean, I just hated it, and I didn't like the grumpy interactions and the stress. And I went back to the kitchen one day to hide from the chaos. And I looked in the kitchen and saw everyone was smiling and people were cooking and there were flames and knives. And that day I walked up to the chef and I said, can I have a job back here? And that's how I got started in the restaurant and just fell in love with cooking and fell in love with the kitchen. So when you're in front of the house, I mean, how angry are people? This is a nice restaurant. So for those of you who don't know, the Prado is like a very premier restaurant here in San Diego. And it's interesting that that's how kind of divine guidance led you there. But what were you dealing with before you fell in love with the kitchen? Oh, just... You know, I would, my job was to just sit people down at a table. And so I would grab the menus and I would start walking them and we had to kind of chit chat. And so I'd say, how's your day going? And the, the first thing out of their mouth would be like, well, I just had to wait 30 minutes for this table. And I'd say, oh no, I'm so sorry about that. Well, don't worry. We have delicious food coming your way. And then we would arrive at a table and they'd say, you're not going to sit me here, are you? And I'm like, well, it's a perfectly good table. No, no, no. It's too close to this. It's too close to a baby. It's too close to a door. And it just was appalling to me that people were so grumpy before even sitting down. Mm. And this course, you're in the kitchen and you get excited. What happens next? I mean, you start working in the kitchen. You kind of fell in love, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I um, The chef found me a job. They didn't even have any openings. And he said, do you have any experience? I said, I have none. He goes, perfect. You're hired. And so he found me a job in the bakery and I... I was pretty crappy at first, to be honest with you. I remember I made, I was supposed to make 200 fruit tarts for a wedding my first day, and I made about 20 of them. 
And I was like, hey, I made 20 fruit tarts. And she like looked at me and was like, you're going to need to step it up. Um, (laughs) But it was really a creative process, which I really enjoyed. And I was on my feet. I was moving around. And I've just always had a love affair with really good food, too. So You're working in the kitchen for a while. And then at some point, though, you go to Paris. You get accepted at Le Cordon Bleu, which is, I believe, one of the top five or top 10 schools in the world. Tell us about that. Sure. So, yeah, like you said, I I just fell in love with cooking. I fell in love with the kitchen. And I was still going to state at the time. And I woke up one day. I had switched majors to anthropology because I just wanted to get out of school. And I knew that I wanted to, to be in a kitchen professionally. And so anthropology was my quickest route out. And so one day I'm at the zoo studying gorillas. And <laughs> I just had this moment of like, what am I doing here? Like, I am wasting my time. Like, I'm not going to use this degree. And so I went into work that evening and I went up to the chef and I said, how do I become you? And he said, well, you can go to culinary school, but don't waste your time just going anywhere. He said, go to New York or go to Paris and you'll be good. And so that night I went home and I Googled like culinary school, Paris, culinary school, New York, because I just I had no idea. And Le Cordon Bleu came up. I applied online. And in like six weeks, I got an acceptance package in the mail. And I was, was that like, pretty rare for people to do that? I mean, how many people apply? How many people get the message Yeah, you back? know, I don't know the statistics, honestly, but I know that I, when I applied, I wasn't expecting to get an acceptance letter. Like, I was just like, yeah, I'll just do this. Like, there was no fee. It was just apply online. And I did. And then when I got this acceptance letter, I was like, oh, my God, I'm moving to Paris. Like, I hadn't even thought about what that would look like. It just was, oh, like, I have a piece of paper that says I have a – place to be in Paris in six months. So exciting. I mean, and then you're in Paris for how long? I was in Paris for one year. One year. At some point, though, you transitioned to the French Laundry in Napa, rated number one in the world to work at Uh, and to eat at, at right? Many times at once they've been voted that. I mean, what was that like being kind of this fearless person? And I think you said on a previous interview, you were a little bit naive at this point. Yes, yeah. And you just went for it. We're going to talk about how this ties into so many things in food. Yes. You know, just really putting yourself out there in the way that you cook. And it's interesting because early in your story, you put yourself out there and you wound up at the French Laundry. So what was that like? Yeah, I, again, with, you know, the same way that I applied to culinary school, I simply applied for the French Laundry online. And everyone asked me, how did you get in? I said, I filled out the online application. It was, I didn't have an in, I didn't have anything special. I just simply went for it. I took the step, right? And I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. And I was there for a few months, not too long, but it was really amazing to watch true mastery, I would say, in that kitchen. And they don't really allow their interns to do too much, to be honest with you. So it's not like I was cooking next to Thomas Keller every night. But just to be able to watch people in their element and watch these chefs that had dedicated their lives to just perfection was a really unique experience and unlike any other kitchen I've worked in. You're there for a while and then you find yourself coming back to San Diego really stoked. You, you've been at Le Cordon Bleu and French Laundry. You come back though and you can't find a job. I can I couldn't find a job to save my life. And you applied at a food court. What happened there? <laughs> I applied for the USD food court, like Panda Express. And they said that I was underqualified. And then I would apply for other restaurants as kitchen manager or sous chef, and I was overqualified. And I was just in this really weird spot where I had a very impressive resume, not a ton of experience, and they didn't know what to do with me. So I was 
at a loss. <laughs> so you'd been at two top global places to eat and to work, and you find yourself getting denied. So emotionally now, the connection between food and the connection between being vulnerable and open as we make the food, you guys know when you taste love in the food, it's there. Yeah. And you know when you go to a restaurant and it's just not tasting that great, like the chef didn't really care. What do you think this was? Do you think this was the beginning of your journey? You then transition into starting your own catering company because you're, yeah. you're like, you know, I can't get a job here. Walk us through that. Yeah, it was really, you know, what I wanted to do after coming back from Paris and after working at those restaurants was I had a love for French food. And there at the time wasn't a ton of French restaurants. And I was also getting really nervous about money. Like I had just lived abroad for a year and had had all these internships. And so I thought, like, how can what's the quickest way that I can make money and still be happy? Because I don't just want to go work at a Panda Express or a food court or something. Um, and so I started this little catering company called Pardon My French. And I did a lot of croissants, a lot of jams, a lot of chocolates, just some sort of French decadence items, little treats. And it's so cool to think about this being a opening space where you got denied and you're like, you know what? I'm going to do it on my own. Yeah. I'm going to follow this thing, this signal inside that was the same signal that I followed to Le Cordon Bleu and all these other places. And then at some point, though, you sign on to one of the most premier restaurant groups in all of San Diego, which is the Cohen Restaurant Group. I remember at Bobo, I went there to eat and um, it was such a phenomenal experience, but you opened it. How did this happen going into 2010 where you opened up uh, Bobo as the youngest chef in San Diego. Yeah, I so the Prada was owned by the Cone Restaurant Group and I had been doing part in my French for a few months and I was still just kind of putting feelers out there for the perfect position. And so I called the Cone Restaurant Group because I had worked with them previously and I said, you know, do you have anything at any of your restaurants? I mean, at the time they had like 13 in San Diego. And he said, I don't have anything right now, but I have something on my radar that I think you'll like. Just give me some time. And so a few months passed and I'd call him and he'd say, we're still working on it. And so I started calling him in June. And in October, he called me and said, I want you to come in and do a tasting. And so I prepared a nice meal for them. And he said, we're opening a French bistro in Ocean Beach. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's so perfect. Like, that's exactly what I love. And so they hired me as the sous chef. So a sous chef is someone that works under the executive chef as kind of their right-hand person. And it was my first sous chef position. And the restaurant was supposed to open in November. And so the chef and I are working next to each other side by side. And we did a few tastings, a few pre-openings, sort of mock service type things. And at one point after the second tasting, the owner of the restaurant pulled me aside and he said, I don't know if this is going to work out. And I thought he was talking about me. And I'm like, oh, man, bummer. <laughs> and he said, do you want it? And I said, want what? And he goes, the restaurant. And I said, yes. And I, it was just an immediate response. Yes, I want it. And he said, okay, we'll talk tomorrow. And the next day I showed up at work and the chef that was hired was no longer there. The desk had been cleaned out and they said, you're in charge. It's either going to be really good or really bad. <laughs> so you were really thrown to the wolves at this point. Yeah. I mean, how many years had you been working in kitchens at this point? I had been in kitchens for about three years. Okay. So this is like a lot to take on. It attaches to what we're going to talk about later, where you actually launched your business really quickly. You launched it too. So 2012, then Riviera Magazine votes you the best new chef. 
How did that happen? Was there like a voting process? I mean, there was, yeah, there was, um, you know, like online votes. Um, I think you had to get nominated first by Rivera and then the community voted you in. And I've been really, really blessed to have a really strong San Diego community behind me. And in this process, you opened up two more restaurants, one in Long Beach. And this is where I think your story takes a little turn here. What was going on at that time in your life that was really a stressor? What did you learn about yourself in this process of working all these hours and opening a third restaurant after three years? What was going on then? Yeah, so I I took a, a leap and opened the restaurant Bobo in Long Beach. And this restaurant was five times larger than any other restaurant I had opened. And I saw it as a really good stepping stone for my career. And I even thought, you know, maybe this will get me into uh, L.A. or Chicago or maybe some of the big cities again. Maybe it's time for me to leave San Diego. And I got up there. And from the second I landed in Long Beach, it didn't feel right. And I knew it wasn't for me. And I didn't like the size of the restaurant. I didn't like the personal touches that I had in San Diego. I couldn't have in Long Beach. And my staff was just massive. And I didn't have this really intimate experience with the diners like I did in San Diego. And it was just an entirely different ballgame. And I knew I didn't love it, but I wanted to see it, see its course. And it just so happened that I had booked a trip to Europe. Um in August after we opened that year. And I was really nervous about going on this trip, but I just thought, you know what? I already have the ticket. I'm just going to go. And I went to Europe and I remember I was on an airplane from Prague to Amsterdam and I was just buzzing with excitement. And I hadn't felt that alive in years. I mean, it was like, you would have thought I was on something, but I wasn't. (laughs) And I remember thinking like, I need to do more of this. Like, how can I feel like this more often? Because this feels really good. And when I got back from Europe, the second I landed at LAX, that feeling was gone. And I was really upset that it wasn't there. I'm like, how can I carry that with me? And in that same week that I had gotten back from Europe, I had found out that um, a childhood friend of mine had passed away at 27, 26 maybe. And that really shook me up. And it really helped me evaluate my life and where I was at and what I was putting all of my energy into. I didn't feel like I was getting any love or support back from it. Um, And I just knew that it was time for me to leave the restaurant scene for a bit. And this is something you followed for a long time though, you know, and I think people can relate to this because it's the cycles of recommitment. David Dita talks about burning through layers of purpose. Mm. Now at this point, you didn't feel like you actually lost your purpose or did you? No, no, I didn't. I didn't have a very good grasp on what I was feeling aside from this is not where I'm supposed to be right now. And, um, and a lot of people were asking me like, how can you leave? You're at the height of your career. And I really, I didn't care at all. Um, for some people, they were very concerned about it. Like, well, why are you throwing this away? I'm like, I'm the same person. I, I still hold all of this with me. I'm not losing anything right now. I'm just switching. What was really happening inside of your heart, inside of your mind that really painted the picture for your success later, looking back? I just recognized that the restaurant industry was really um, ruthless. Like I didn't have any strong connections with anyone. I didn't have close friends in Long Beach. I didn't, even my friends in San Diego, I didn't get a C and I I wasn't in a relationship. Um, In fact, a relationship had just ended and I was very heartbroken and I didn't get to spend any quality time with my family. And I just felt so alone and so wrecked. And I just knew at that moment that whatever I did next, 
that was going to be my motivation was more time for myself, more time for my family, more time for my friends and not status. I didn't care about status anymore and I didn't care about winning another award. I mean, all those things were great, but all I really wanted was to feel loved and to give love and to be around my family and friends as much as possible. This is the price though, that it comes with being an entrepreneur and following your passion. So if anybody listening is following your passion, it can be challenging 10 times more than if you were just going to lead the comfortable life. And at this time, you then go on to found Cat's Kitchen Collective. You started to know that your love and passion for food was there, but you weren't exactly sure what you're going to do. And you actually threw up Cat's Kitchen Collective as like a place marker, right? Yeah. So tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah. So I had no idea what I was going to do. My last day at the restaurant was New Year's Eve, December 31st. And... Uh, My brother has a successful online business, and so he said, why don't you start a food blog? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I can work from home. I can spend time with my family and friends. You know, like all those little funny, like, graphics you see on Instagram of, like, people on the beach working. Like, oh, I could work on the beach. Like, that didn't happen. But, you know, in my mind, I was like, this will be perfect. And so I started a mailing list and just started making some cooking videos. And I just wanted people to have a place to find me so that when I did figure out what I was going to do, I would still have my my tribe with me a little mm. bit. So I started Cat's Kitchen Collective as a food blog, started a mailing list, was emailing them all every week. And um, after six months of Cat's Kitchen Collective, it was time to shake things up. And then you were just in this space of what the hell do I do next? How did you get on Food Network? Because as I talked about in her bio, she's an award-winning chef. You know, she's opened restaurants. She's been on the Food Network multiple times. But how did this happen with Food Network? And what was the space of your life before that happened? What were you feeling then? Yeah, um, great question. So the Food Network actually reached out to me. And I don't even really know how they got my info. I mean, they called my personal cell phone and they said, this is so-and-so from the Food Network. We'd like to invite you on our show. And I thought it was a joke. Like I thought someone was playing a prank on me. (laughs) Um, And then I think once I agreed to do one show, they all kind of pass around the applications. So then I got calls from a few of the Food Network shows. Um, And it was, ironically, I filmed those during my last few months while I was at Bobo Long Beach. Um, And... I was really, um, I wasn't excited to compete on those shows and I wasn't excited to go on those shows. And the idea of it made me really nervous. I didn't want to put myself out there. I've never considered myself a competitive person and I was really apprehensive about it. Where do you think that came from that you didn't feel the power and the strength to complete that? I was really insecure about my cooking skills. Like I thought, well, San Diego is a small, small little beach town. And even though I'm successful here, if you were to throw me in New York, you know, I wouldn't be able to hack it. And these shows bring chefs from all over and I'm not really up to par. I can so connect with this. We're here to spotlight your work. And I just want to tell you this quick piece here. Like no matter how many interviews I do, I bring on world-class people And I'm so incredibly nervous sometimes before I bring them on. And there's these voices that you and I know very well. And it's the good wolf and the bad wolf. Mm -hmm. And it's the power to actually say, listen, I know that the voices are there. I know that the fear is there, but I'm going to do it anyway. So for people that are working on something that's more in alignment with their heart's calling, what worked for you? Like, how did you listen to that voice that said, I'm scared, but do it anyways? 
Yeah. So I remember I was in the hotel room um, the night before my first competition on Guy's Grocery Games. And I reached out to a friend of mine who's a world champion skydiver. And he is has won many, many competitions. And in skydiving, you have to be, you know, very fearless. And so Jumping I, out of an airplane, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I called him and I'm like, do you have any tips for how to be in a competition? Because I don't know that I've ever been in a competition before. And he said, the only thing you can do is focus on what you're doing. He's like, don't look around. Don't worry about the time. Like, just focus on what you know you can do. And I'm like, okay. And so when I got to the studio and the challenges started rolling in, it was always like I took a lot of comfort in I know how to cook this specific item, and so I'm going to stick with that, and I'm going to do this really, really well. And um, it really helped me. Like I, And I remember looking at the other – there was a chef there who had worked for the White House, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Uh, come on. This is so unmatched, you know? And I ended up beating him, and it was like one by one. And I think it's interesting that you go, oh, well, I ended up beating him. You won yeah. a competition on the Food <laughs> Network, right? Yeah. I mean, that's powerful. Then you go on to win Guy's Grocery Games. You know, if you guys watch Food Network, Guy Fieri with the crazy hair and everything. Then you go to beat almost Bobby Flay on the Food Network. I mean, so you accomplish all these things, but yet the whole time, you're still kind of listening to the good wolf, bad wolf conversations. And I think literally everyone yeah. can relate to this. Yeah. Because- high achievers, people that are doing great things and they're up to big stuff. It's not like this fear piece goes away. And I think that this vulnerability, even in the face of fear, just because your heart's like, listen, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go for it anyways. This is powerful. You go on to cook food for high level athletes, the number one CrossFit team in the world. You know, 30 days, you launch your business, Savory Made Simple. Now you're at this kind of surmounted place. Yeah. So tell us now, like what you launched your business in 30 days. Like, how is that even possible? Um, yeah, I just set a date. So I hired a business business coach somewhere along the way. Once I got to a place with uh, Cat's Kitchen Collective, I just didn't know what to do. I went to a business event and I hired Nick Unsworth to be my business coach. And we talked it out. We came up with Savory Made Simple. And I remember we sat down on July 9th and he said, okay, when are your first deliveries going out? And I said, August 9th. And he said, okay, well, here's, you know, we came up with a list of things that I kind of needed to figure out before that point. And I figured everything out in like two days. Like I was just on the phone. I was in the zone. And so it was like, okay, we're doing this. And August 9th, my first deliveries went out. And it's a recurring subscription model. So I didn't have a choice to like take a break. Like it was every Tuesday since August 9th. We've had boxes go out. And I think there's a correlation here to health too, because people that hire health coaches or wellness coaches or just people that are kind of struggling to get through a process, mm -hmm. it's the same thing that you did by reaching out to someone else. You know, the night before the competition, you reached out to a friend, which gave you strength. Yeah. The time before you're launching your business, you reach out to a coach. Yeah. And I think it goes back to this point. We are not on this journey alone. So if someone's listening, like this is not preaching, this is just the human condition. We're wired for tribal. Yeah. We're wired to connect with other human beings. And I think that the correlation between health and the progression of health and what you're doing, it's almost the same thing. And I'm thinking about something here where, you know, then you launch your business and you're probably still like, what am I doing? What, oh, is, what is happening yet? But then you're still moving forward. What do you think yeah. is actually continuing in your brain? Like what's making you continue to move forward even in this face of being surmounted by all this fear? Yeah, Um you know, I, I thought it was a fear of failure that was holding me back in a lot of things. And I've come to realize that 
And I just had this conversation with a friend the other day. I said, what keeps you going? He has several businesses. And he said, my parents. My parents work really hard and they inspire me and I know I can't leave them behind. And so I really thought, okay, what keeps me going? Because some days it's really hard. And so how do I make that decision to sit down and write more recipes or update the website or whatever it is? And I recognize that what keeps me going is when I sit down and really recognize the freedom that having my own business gives me, I'm so inspired and so grateful. And I know that the alternative is going back to a restaurant, and that is not even an option for me at this point. Like, I have no desire to do that. But to have that freedom for myself and to show other people that they can have that freedom too, just by leading by example, it's really powerful for me that you don't have to settle. And feel the fear and do it anyways. Yeah, exactly. So you launched the business. It's going. You're still now successfully running the business. Let's transition here. So we've talked about your story, which is really profound because you had to face a lot of dialogue in your own head, mm-hmm. regardless of the dialogue around you. Like, oh, it won't work, blah, right. blah, blah. And I think people can connect with this. But when we look at the vehicle of cooking and what holds people back from cooking, like, what do you think? You've worked with people one-on-one. You've yeah. been cooking for a long time. What holds people back from starting to learn how to cook? Yeah, I have a theory that people say, oh, I hate cooking or I don't like cooking. And I always ask them, have you ever stared at a pot of boiling water and say, I hate this? Or have you ever like stirred a pot of onions and said like, these onions are making me so mad right now. Like it doesn't happen. They hate the prep work beforehand. They hate the dishes afterwards. They hate when it doesn't taste good, but no one hates the actual process of cooking. And I think that people get All of the other things associated with cooking, like shopping, prepping, planning, expectations of it tasting good, expectations of how you'll feel afterwards, that they get that confused and it just stops them in their tracks. And they say, I don't like cooking. I don't, it's not for me. But really cooking can be a very meditative, creative, enjoyable process. And when I cook, it's fun. But I mean, like I've kind of pushed the envelope, which by the way, I'm absolutely going to try out some of your boxes (laughs) of food. But people don't necessarily kind of wander into cooking because there can be roadblocks. Maybe yeah. it's like feelings of, well, I don't have what it takes to be a good cook. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm a busy mom. Like, how am I going to integrate this into my life? Yes. And when we look at parents too, you know, what is their unique challenge that you've seen from working with parents that have families? Like, yeah. how does that plug into them making healthy food for their families? Yeah, definitely. Um, so one of my favorite things about Savory Made Simple is when I get pictures of children eating a Savory Made Simple meal and the parent, the mother, or the father will say, my kid hates fish, but he loves this meal. Or my kid could never eat broccoli before, and now he's gobbling it up. And it's just maybe giving the parents a few tools, a few flavor combinations to make it more approachable, or a few cooking techniques to make the individual ingredient really shine that can make the food more enjoyable, more healthy, and just better all around for everyone. Is there some key action steps? Because, I mean, people have been listening to the story and they've been feeling how you've pushed through even when it was uncomfortable. That's the same feeling for a parent. It's yeah. uncomfortable to kind of learn new thing with their busy schedule. Right. Like, picture a mom with two kids Ugh. screaming right now. So no. what are some key action steps they can take in the beginning? Yeah. Uh, what can they do to start this process of learning how to cook and, and learn how to cook healthy? So a few of my favorite recommendations are to, every time you go to the grocery store, to pick a new vegetable. 
And you can ask the produce man about it. You can say, how do you cook this? What does this do? What does it taste like? But I feel like so many people get stuck in the rut of like, well, I always get carrots and I always get celery because these are what I know. And it's really easy to find recipes that use these ingredients. But for example, something like spaghetti squash, maybe you've seen it. You don't know how to cut it. You don't know how to open it, but it can be a really healthy alternative to pasta that kids will love. Like taking it out of its shell and it's all stringy and noodly, but it's really healthy for you. So it just getting yourself to try new vegetables, new fruits, new ingredients can be a really rewarding process. Also, one of the favorite things that my mom did to me as a child, and my mom's a great cook, is she used to do blind taste tests for me anytime I would say I didn't like something. And so I don't know why I would say that. I remember one thing was an English muffin. I remember I was like, I don't like those. And (laughs) she blindfolded me and gave me like some other foods and then had me taste this English muffin. And I loved it. And then she was like, this is what it is. And it was a fun game. It was really rewarding. And now I, you know, now they're great. (laughs) Do you feel like what's coming up for me is I'm feeling like, you know, what you do is so unique because you deliver the directions, Mm -hmm. the ingredients, and they also have you as a reference they can reach out to online. So there's this support system around on this process, which is really important yeah. because when we don't feel inspired and supported, no action is going to be taken, whether yeah. it's food or working out or whatever. So when people are having cookbooks, you know, so many people right now, like raise your hand. Well, don't raise your hand if you're driving, but <laughs> raise your hand if you have 50 cookbooks in your house and they've never been opened or they've been opened once and there's papers in there, but you've never done them. What do you think the correlation is between people that have a bunch of cookbooks but don't take the action, then having a system and a service where they're just having one thing to focus on at a time, kind of yeah. simplifying the process. Definitely. You know, savory made simple. Not to give yeah. you too big of a plug on a show <laughs> or anything, but what, what is this? Why do people buy so many cookbooks yeah. but then not take action on the cookbook? Yeah, the cookbooks are really pretty. They have pretty pictures. They're by a famous celebrity chef. You know, it's very um, exciting. And when you get that cookbook, you feel inspired. It's kind of like for me when I buy like a book on um, business and I'm like, oh, this this book is going to change my life. And then I never even open it, you know. <laughs> and it's it's like you have to find that connection point um, before you even make the first move in buying that cookbook. Because if you are not already in the kitchen, if you are not already willing to try something new, when you open up a cookbook and you don't recognize the name of an ingredient, you're going to be way less inspired to go out and try and find it. And so it's just, cookbooks are great. I have 50 of them. I have many, 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 but make sure you find one that fits into your lifestyle would be my recommendation. And so if you are not already cooking, you know, um, Mediterranean food on a normal basis and you aren't familiar with the ingredients and you don't know where to start, it might be overwhelming for you. So um, I actually recommend trying a few recipes online first. You can just print one out. You don't need to commit to a whole cookbook. And then once you really start to get into the flavors, you start to make some connection with the food on a deeper level other than I just need to provide it, um, then you can really get excited about cookbooks. We'll jump right back to the conversation with Catherine, but speaking of excitement, this week coming up is the perfect chance to feel more energy and excitement from the foods that we eat. The only problem is we need about 25,000 calories a day to get all the nutrients, minerals, and everything else we need to thrive. So in addition to eating real food that's organic and clean, I've also been supplementing with Rhodiola rosea. I've talked about this a few times on the show, but I think what's unique to talk about in my last 60 days is that I've noticed just a general boost in energy and stress reduction. Name the best energy boosting herb by Alternative Medicine Magazine 
Green Perfect Rhodiola Rosea is the perfect supplement to stick into your healthy food plan. Hop on over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce, get 10% off your purchase for Rhodiola Rosea and all the other supplements on the website. Don't forget to use code wellnessforce for 10% off and a lifetime membership. Now, let's jump back to the conversation with Chef Catherine Humphus. There's no action that's going to be taken unless there's some little spark of excitement, yeah. even if it's a little bit. And this is what we talked about last week on the solo episode, where just because you're a little overwhelmed doesn't mean that you don't get to move forward. It's almost like this taking imperfect action that we see in your story and we see in parents' stories across the United States. Like nobody really knows what's going to happen every day, but yet you still have this intention to just make it work out. And that's the same thing that I'm seeing with you. I want to transition into this section, and I guess we could just label this section fear. You've gone through so much fear and the same thing, you know, I just got a client last week and and we were talking about fear and what it's like to be able to move through the fear. Do you have a unique strategy um, for moving through fear now as an entrepreneur and as a woman, as a chef? Yeah, you know, I wish I did. Um, I have been searching for one. I really wish that I had a go-to strategy that really like snapped me out of it. And aside from reaching out to people, family or friends, which I guess is a strategy in itself. It's one that comes very natural to me. So I, I've, I guess I don't associate it with an actual strategy, but I, that's always been my go-to is, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed or I'm feeling like I can't handle this or there's something in the way. And I have specific people for specific situations. You're one of them. I mean, we had a great conversation um, a few weeks ago and I just love hearing other people's insight because they're able to remove themselves from the situation and see the reality versus the story. So I'm great at storytelling myself into a tizzy. And like when we talked the other day, you're like, here's the reality. Like, yeah. And it's super helpful for me. And the reality is this, that it's so easy on social media. It's Mm -hmm. so easy on the internet to craft this perfect facade. I think there's a psychological term for it. I don't know what the term is, is, but it's been studied that people that post more on social media Mm -hmm. about how happy they are and how great their lives are, are actually the ones percentage wise that are the most sad and depressed. So I think this is a unique conversation point for us because, you know, we're talking about the recipe. Mm. What are the ingredients to really connect to other people? We already talked about reaching out to trusted people, mentors, things like this. We talked about going through the fear anyways. Everybody's going to have their their own unique strategy. But when you think about the number one thing that parents, especially like busy moms, especially need to focus on when going into like a food journey or a health journey, what do you think that is? Like, what do you think people should be looking at when they're moving in that direction? Yeah. I think the number one thing is that you need to pay attention to how it makes you feel. And I mean that from both a nutritional health standpoint and also from an emotional standpoint. If you are trying to cook a recipe that's taking up way too much of your time, it's required too much, too many ingredients, um, it's stressing you out, you have too many dishes to wash, it's going to stress you out. And at the end of the day, no matter how good it tastes, it might not be worth it to you because you're busy. Um If you are able to find recipes that are in more of a streamlined format and it only has 10 ingredients, you can get them easily um, and it's within 30 to 40 minutes and it tastes great and you only have a few things to wash, like now we're talking, right? Like now Mm. you're going to feel good. Your kids are going to love it. If it's simple enough that your kids can help you cook, now you're creating an experience for the whole family. And it's just all, that's what it is for me. It's all about creating an experience. And that's what it was for me when I was at the restaurant, when I would go out into the dining room and get to talk to people. And that's how it is when I interact with my clients online in our online forum. It's just 
creating that entire experience, that feel-good experience. And then afterwards, if you're eating wholesome, nutritious foods, you physically feel satiated. You feel good. You feel like you can go run a marathon, you know, and you're not sleepy. You're not groggy. So it's just that all-encompassing, this was a really positive move on my part to cook this meal. Kind of like listening to your body, but also listening to how the food that you eat makes you feel as well. Yeah. So if like you're spending three hours prepping a meal, is it really worth it if you have 10,000 other things to do that right. day? Like employ the systems that are going to help you with yes, that process. Definitely. So this is my favorite part of the show. Ooh. This is seven for seven. It's seven fast questions uh, for seven top of mind answers. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. If there was just one thing you could change about health and wellness, what would that be? The stigma that it's really hard to be healthy. What do you mean by that? Like when people think like, oh, I've been trying this diet or like, oh, it's going to take me six months to see any results. Like just this automatic mental ticker that if you do, or want to get healthy, it's going to be a really hard journey. I don't mm. think that that's accurate. And I feel like that's where so many of my friends and I go is just, oh, this is, you know, if we want a beach body, we're going to start in January and it's going to be like a grueling process. What do you think if you can go back and plant a little note in your 18 year old self's pocket? What do you think would be on that note if you could tell yourself something at 18? Oh, at 18, um, I was pretty impressed with myself at 18 looking back, but there's one area in my life that I wish I could have had a heart to heart with my 18 year old self. And it would have been, you deserve the world. And I think that especially in relationships, I uh, made some poor decisions and I thought that that's what I deserved. Or I thought that's where I kind of landed. Like, well, this is as good as it's going to get. And I wish I could go back and be like, hey, girl, Aim for the stars. <laughs> I love that. And it really goes back to building up self-worth. So you just plant a little seed in the pocket of the 18-year-old right now and just say, you're worth it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so when you look at the most important thing in your industry, like what is one thing that pisses you off? Like what's something that you want to change yeah. right now? Uh, the Specifically with the restaurant industry, just the hours and the expectations that you're just supposed to be there for 15 hours a day. And, you know, if you want to be a real chef, you're going to have to – expect divorce and expect shitty relationships and just, you know, and it's, it's kind of this badass like chef world of like, this is what chefs do. We, you know, give it up all for the chefing. And I just, that does not sit well with me. And so many people have this like bad boy image of like, go out to the bars after work and party and Lone Ranger. And just, I'm so over it. Like there, I feel like there has to be a way to be a successful chef and still have a real life also. Which is what you're doing now. Yeah. That's why you created Savory Made Simple. <laughs> We're talking with Kat. We're almost done with 7 for 7. Right now, if you're driving, don't do this. But if you're working out or something, bookmark this. It's savorymadesimple.com. Kat, what do you feel in your body or what do you tell your mind when you're experiencing stress? Like, is there a certain mantra or a message that you have that you tell yourself? Yeah. Um, the best is yet to come. <clears throat> it's the it's the whole you know long game like you're in it for the long haul success doesn't happen overnight the best is yet to come just keep going what's your vision for savory made simple i mean what legacy do you want to leave when you're gone yeah great question um i actually have big dreams to do culinary retreats all over the world um, so that's my my big plan really is to build savory made simple up to a certain level and then just keep it there. Um, I don't want to take over the world with Savory Made Simple meal kits. I want 
them to be available for anyone who needs it. But my longer plan, my big vision would be to take my Savory Made Simple clients to Paris and let's go rent a house in the countryside and let's go cook together and have our own little chop challenges and build experiences and build relationships and build confidence through cooking and um, in other countries too. I think it's so powerful because the, the same thing you're doing with your vision where you connect people about mm-hmm. empowering them through food is the exact same thing that you learned at an early age. Yeah. It's the same thing. I never so it's, made it's, that connection. It's amazing. And my last question, you know, we have so many people on the show and with your background, like everything you've been through, I'm curious, what is wellness to you? What's your personal mm. definition of wellness? Wellness, yeah. Wellness is, to me, maintaining a lifestyle that feels good in all areas. So in the past, I have catapulted myself into the restaurant scene and it felt really good to be at the top of my game there, but I was lacking so much in so many other areas. And then I've catapulted myself into relationships and that felt really good, but then my work life suffered. And so wellness for me is finding that balance where you really can have everything that you want and you really can feel fulfilled through all aspects of your life if you play your cards right. And that to me is like the ultimate wellness game right there is being able to have a fulfilling relationship, a fulfilling work life, a fulfilling um, health, you know, feeling good in your body. That's been a huge one for me. I I have struggled with health um, early on in my childhood and now it's like I'm able to look at myself and feel very strong. I feel very strong when I look at myself. And so it's that mental strength. And just um, wellness to me is even if you're having a bad day, you know, you know you have a support system to pull you out of it. And even if you are stressed out about work, you have the mental clarity to know that you're going to get through it. And so just having that higher self in all areas of your life. Kat, we talked about so many things that people can input right now, but do you feel like there's anything we missed? I mean, when we're looking at people that are stressed out and that are overwhelmed when cooking food and when going into that process, do you feel like we missed anything? I would say if you can, enlist a cooking buddy. Um, And so you, I remember I had a friend that we would go to the grocery store together and we would pick out things together and then we'd meal prep together. And then we'd split up all of our meal prep and she'd go home and I'd go home and we'd have double the work done and it would be a fun little bonding experience. And then we'd all be prepped up. So that's always a good tip. And I'm thinking about all the work that people get to do now. So don't be overwhelmed. Kat's going to help you. I'm here. I'm here. And if you want to reach out to her, uh, what's the best way for people to contact you and learn more? Um, The best way is probably email. You can find me at Kat with a K. So K-A-T at SavoryMadeSimple.com. Um, I'm always on my email, so you can always get a hold of me there or just visit me on the website at savorymadesimple.com. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Kat, I want to thank you publicly for just (laughs) being this light. Like ever since I met you, you've just been open to doing the real work, right? In business, you crush it and you're helping people across the United States, eventually the world with your service. But you've just been so committed to doing the real work, the ones where we face the fear and where we get to tell ourselves everything's going to be okay and we're worth it. So thanks for what you do in helping people. And it was a joy to interview you today. Thanks, Josh. I would love to offer anyone listening to this a special Savory Made Simple coupon code. So for anyone who's interested, we have a $30 off your first meal kit and the promo code will be wellnessforce. And we'll just put that right in the show notes. 
And uh, yeah, I look forward to meeting you all. Thanks, Kat. That is super generous. I appreciate that. You guys, make sure to check out the show notes from today at wellnessforce.com slash savory. Do you just love Chef Kat or what? This woman is amazing. You guys got to see her in person. She's got tons of videos over at savorymadesimple.com. She's on YouTube. She's on Facebook. Seriously, just check out her Instagram and try not to get hungry. Everything we talked about today can be found at wellnessforce.com slash savory. Also, the downloads and discount link from Kat. Do not forget to order your $30 off box of food delivered right to your doorstep. I'm stoked. I'm actually going to get my first box this week. I'll let you know. I'll post on social. Tag me, hashtag at Wellness Force. Let me know on social if you've gotten your kit from Savory Made Simple. And remember, cooking does not have to be a stressful event. It can be something, as Chef Kat said, that is mindful, empowering, and free. Let's do that together. If you have any questions, reach out to Kat at cat at savorymadesimple.com. Next week, special guest Rob Dion, fitness professional from Los Angeles. He's trained some of the top CEOs and actors and athletes in America. Well, he's going to come on Wellness Force and finally take care of this missing block of how do we eat healthy and move when we're traveling. All right, that is it. Thank you so much, my friend, for sticking around to the end of the show. You know, we always have fun stuff that we talk about. Sometimes we give away stuff too. You'll get to learn about the next guest for each week and little bonuses and specials that I have coming up on the podcast. Now there's only one thing left for you to do. It's really important though. And that's to go have an amazing day with all the inspiration and tools you got from Chef Cat and every guest that's been on the show. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.